How I love your word, how it lights my path, how it guides my way. In a moment, I'm going to ask my three readers to come up because um, the passage that the Lord laid on my heart just to bring to us at the start of this year, 2022, here as Ichthus Forest Hill Congregation, the thing that's been in my heart is this chapter of James, James chapter 5. And uh, it's a meaty chapter, and it's quite long, and there's loads of different ideas in it. But don't worry, I promise you that I'm not going to try and unpack every single one and every single verse in all its fullness for us this morning, because that would take a very long time. But we want to think a little bit about this chapter this morning and how it is relevant for us as we go into this new year, as we go into 2022, And as we're asking, as I hope we are asking the question of ourselves, how do we live as followers of Jesus in the times that we find ourselves? How do we please him? How do we fulfill the purposes that God has got for us as his people, not only as individuals in our own individual lives, but also together as his people? What should our focus be? So we're going to listen to the whole chapter being read in three sections, and um, I would just encourage you as you listen to those verses, I'm not going to unpack every single one, but maybe you want to go home after this and take this chapter as a chapter to meditate on a bit more deeply, because there's a lot of instructions in here. There's a lot of specific exhortations and words, things that we should do, things that we shouldn't do. And uh, maybe you want to go home and just think about how the Lord might be applying some of those things more specifically to you. But as we listen to these readings, and Ian's going to bring the first part, I want us to think now as we listen, let's hear the first part that Ian reads as James's prophetic assessment of the state of the world that he's living in, the world around him and in the time of the church that he's writing to. And then, as Leslie reads and as David reads the second and the third parts, let's hear those as the exhortation of James to the people of God, to us, in other words, to help us to live right through these times. Thanks, Ian. So it's James chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Come now, you rich people, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted. And your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have corroded. And their corrosion will serve as a testimony against you. And will consume your flesh like fire. It is in these last days that you have stored up your treasure. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields. And which has been withheld by you. Cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of armies. You have lived for pleasure on the earth and lived luxuriously. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous person. He offers you no resistance. from verse 7. 
Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient until it gets its early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, or you will be condemned. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save him from death and cover a multitude of sins. Thank you. Well, you can see what I mean. It's a packed, full chapter, isn't it? And there's lots of different things that James is addressing there. But I wanted us to think um, about that first part of the reading that Ian read. I want us to think about the pressure of the last days that James was observing James was prayerful and prophetically speaking out into the scene of the world around him. You can tell that the language of those first few verses is different, the way he addresses people. So I don't think that he is primarily addressing the congregation in front of him when he says, come now you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Of course it may be applicable to the congregation in front of him, but primarily he is thinking about the context of the world around him and of the times that they are in. 
And he's picking up on the spiritual atmosphere that he feels is out there. He's picking up on the injustice of the world that they live in. He's picking up on the inequality. He's picking up on the abuses of power that are happening, on the greed and the corruption. He's picking up on the exploitation of people, the materialism that is filling people's hearts, the poverty gap that is, uh, was clearly emerging before them, the suffering of the poor and the disenfranchised. He's picking up on all of those things and he's speaking out against it. He is saying the way that the world is right now is against God's heart. It is against God's desire and his design for the people that he has created. And I think that we can probably all recognize those elements, can't we, in the landscape of the world that we live in today. We can recognize that James is describing the external pressures of the world around in what he is calling the last days. And he is recognizing that there are spiritual forces that are pressing in on the people of God that are coming from the outside. They are coming externally in. The world we're living in, the last days kind of feel, has got with it spiritual pressures, spiritual forces that press in on the people of God. And they cause oppression. And they cause difficulty. And they cause suffering for God's people. They make it hard for the people of God to keep holding on in faith, to keep moving forward with the purposes God has got for them. It causes God's people perhaps to lose touch with who the Lord really is, to forget what his character is really like. It causes them perhaps to lose touch with their own faith inwardly and their own sense of what God is moving them on into. And James is kind of prophesying about that external pressure, and he's saying this is the pressure around us in these last days. And I think it's really interesting that even 2,000 years ago, James seems to feel the urgency of the potential imminence of Jesus' return, doesn't he? He's talking in those terms. He can feel that the judge is right at the door, it says. And he's using this kind of language in these verses to capture for us that sense of we're on the edge of something. God is desperately wanting to break through and to break in to his world, to return, to collect his people, to gather his people, and to finally and completely and definitively deal with all of the injustice and the pain and the suffering and the sorrow that this world is so full of. James can feel the urgency of it, and he's using this kind of language, the last days, the Lord of hosts, he talks about, or as Ian's version puts it, the Lord of armies. That's who he is seeing God as in this passage. You know, we like to talk about Jesus by his other names more often, don't we? As savior and healer and friend. And all of those things are, of course, still true. But James, as he looks at the world, he's seeing Jesus in terms of the Lord of hosts, 
the God of armies, the God who has angelic armies at his disposal, the God who is interested in spiritual warfare against the evil that has riddled this world, the God who, has, who is not powerless in the face of all of the troubles and sufferings that this world present to us, the God who is waging war in the heavenly realms. And if we are people with prophetic insight, if we are people in touch with the Spirit of God, then we will have our eyes open to see and understand the battles of the heavenly places more clearly than perhaps we would otherwise. And he sees Jesus as the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, which is a comforting picture if you are aware of all the ways in which God's enemy seems to be triumphing and uh, doing his works rather than God's works. He calls Jesus the judge in verse 9. Again, another name for him that we don't usually like to use. But when Jesus comes again, James knows that there will be a judgment, a day of judgment. And actually that day will be a relief to the people who are suffering under the injustice and the evil of this world. It will be a comfort and a strength to know that God is coming to deal finally and utterly with those things. But it's also a warning to us as the people of God. And that's what James is saying to his congregation in his day. He's warning them, don't fall into the judgment that is coming for the world's ways. Don't let your life come under those same categories. Don't be the exploiters. Don't be those riddled with greed. Don't be those full of corruption. Don't be those who are exploiting others. Don't be those whose hearts are given over to materialism and to just all the things that they can get and grab. And we can hear as James is speaking out this chapter that he is seeing into the spiritual realms. And he uses that that kind of visionary word twice, behold, behold, in verse 4 and in verse 9. And you know, I believe, people of God, that we need that kind of prophetic vision for our time and for our days. We need to be able to behold, we need to let the Lord open our eyes to see what is going on, not just in the earthly realms, but also in the heavenly spaces around us. And if we don't feel we have that kind of prophetic vision, if we feel that we are not understanding what God's purposes are in this world and at this time, we need to ask him to open our eyes so that we can be like James. We can behold and see and catch a glimpse. It may not always be an encouraging vision, but it will help us. It will help us to understand what the will of God is. It will help us to move forward with the works that he's giving us to do. And you can hear in James's voice, can't you, in those first six verses, you can hear that he feels the heaviness of the state that the world is in and that he knows that the church is struggling, perhaps, is not coping very well, is suffering too, is probably part of those who are being exploited and who are at the bottom of the pile, certainly in his day. And he can feel that heaviness, and the heaviness comes through. And so after this great kind of speaking out against the world's values, the world's ways, the world's injustices in those first verses, then he turns 
And his voice changes and his tone changes in verse 7. And now suddenly he's talking to his brothers and sisters in the church. Brothers and sisters, therefore, be patient until the coming of the Lord. And he starts to talk to them about how we can live through these kinds of days, the last days that we feel we're in. Let's draw from James some of his wisdom, some of his exhortations that he gave to the people of his day. And in that second part of the reading that Leslie read, we can see that James's first encouragement as he addresses the people of God, how are we going to live through these times? How are we going to walk through the injustice and the suffering that the world is so full of? How are we going to be God's people in this time? He calls us to look to the prophets as examples. And in those first, that section of the reading that Leslie read, he calls us to be like the prophet Job. Be like the prophet Job, first of all. And in doing that, James is helping the people of God. He's helping the church to know how to respond internally to all that is going on in the world around. What is it going to look like internally, first of all? And he says it needs to look something like the prophet Job. And by saying that, he's talking, he's using as the example of Job, he's bringing to the surface, bringing to the forefront this whole idea of patience. And he uses that word patient, in my version it comes out as patience, four times. Be patient, brothers and sisters. The farmer is patient about the precious produce of the soil. You too, be patient, he says again. And then at the end, the patience of Job. We recognize that Job was somebody who was an example to us of this word, patience. But actually, when you look in the Greek at what patience actually means, you'll find that it's an interesting word, which is maybe not just about, you know, not fidgeting when you're waiting for something to happen. But this patience idea in Greek is a word makrothumia, makrothumia. So when he says, be patient, brothers and sisters, what he's saying is, have makrothumia, brothers and sisters. And that word in the Greek, it literally means macro is big and thumia is something to do with our spirit or our passion or our spiritual energy and life. That's how it's used. So to have macrothumia means that we have got a big reservoir, if you like, of spiritual life within us that we can draw from in the times of pressure and the times of suffering and the times of difficulty. Get a bigger reservoir within, James is saying. Be like Job, who somehow in all that he suffered 
managed to carry with him resources that helped him not to give up on the goodness of God, not to turn his back on the faithfulness of God, not to see God's face um, as somebody who was against him or punishing him or doing something to him um, out of spite or out of anger or out of judgment, that somehow through all of it, Job managed to keep hold of the truth that God is a God of compassion and mercy. And even though it doesn't feel like it right now, and even though the things that I'm experiencing and that I'm going through make me feel like God has left me or that he's gone or that he's turned away or that he's something else. Somehow within Job, there was enough of a reservoir of spiritual life, of spiritual energy, of truth, of the Holy Spirit himself perhaps in those Old Testament days that carried him through, that helped him to stay resourced. It doesn't mean that he didn't come to the point of wanting to give up. It doesn't mean that he felt happy and cheerful the whole time. But what it meant was that there was something going on inside that he could draw from to strengthen him through those times so that he didn't give up on looking for the goodness of God. And he was looking for the goodness of God and looking for the goodness of God and looking for the goodness of God, just like that farmer that is described by James, who is looking at the soil and thinking, you know what, I've done everything right. I've planted those seeds. I've done all the work that is necessary to make this ground yield something. And yet it just seems dry. It just seems dead. It's not giving me back anything But that farmer knows that he's got to wait. He's got to wait. He's got to draw from the strength and the sustenance of the Spirit of God inside him to give him the energy to keep on waiting for those late rains to fall, the late rains to come that will soften up the ground again and give back the growth from it. He's waiting in patience, but not just waiting, drumming his fingers, waiting and drawing from the strength that the Lord has put inside of him. He's got a macrothumia. He's got resources inside. He has increased the reservoir of what he can receive from God. And James says, in these kind of times that we're in, we need to be those kinds of people. We need to get a bigger reservoir of what God wants to put inside of us, of his goodness, of his blessing, of his grace, so that when it isn't coming to us from the external, so that when the pressure is coming on from the outside, we've got somewhere to go and reach into and draw from. Just like those lamps full of oil that the bridesmaids in Jesus' parable carried with them. They've got something there. They've got macrothumia, not a micro one. And James speaks to the people and he's giving them ideas about how we can have, how we can make sure that the resources inside of us are not depleting spiritually, are not draining away spiritually. He talks about looking for the rains of the Holy Spirit to fall, the early rains and the late rains. You know, some of us spend all our times in the dry times. We spend all our thinking energy in the dry times, thinking back to the early rains and to how beautiful it was when the rain of God's Spirit was pouring forth in a different way in the past. And we're so much looking back, we forget to look forward because God says, yeah, but there's a late rain coming. There's another one to come. Yeah, it's not here yet. 
Yeah, you're not feeling it yet. You can't see the cloud in the sky yet, but there's a late rain to come. It's how I've made things. I will give early rains, and then there may be a wait, but I will give late rains. And James is saying, be like those farmers who care enough about the precious produce of the soil. That's how he talks about it. It's precious, this fruitfulness that we're looking for to spring up. It's precious every person who comes to salvation. It's precious every prayer that we pray that gets answered and comes into fruitfulness and comes into beauty. It's precious. We don't take it for granted. And sometimes we have to get on our knees looking at the ground saying, those rains are coming. I know the rains are coming. Sometimes we have to tell the ground and tell those little seeds in there, don't give up. Don't dry out little seeds. There's a rain coming. God has said it. So it's going to happen. The rain is coming. We look for the rains. And he tells us we've got to be people who stay looking for the reign of the Holy Spirit, that we don't give up in the gap. He says to us that we need to strengthen our hearts in verse 8, to get this reservoir bigger and filled up with resources. We need to strengthen our hearts and not fatten our hearts, like it says in verse 5. In other words, don't become spiritually lazy. Don't just be indulging the flesh. Don't fall into the wisdom of the world out there, which is entirely and 100% materialistic. It's entirely and 100% about feeding ourselves and putting ourselves first and making sure we get what we need and making sure that everything works out how we want it to. That is the world's agenda, and it's spoken out to us in so many ways. Sometimes they dress it up so it sounds a bit noble in some way, but at the end of the day, it is selfish and self-indulgence. And James is saying, don't fatten your hearts that way. Don't think all the time about your own needs and indulging your own flesh or escaping into whatever it is that makes you feel good. This depletes your spiritual reservoir. Be somebody who strengthens their hearts instead, who feeds it with the Word of God, who feeds it with truth, who feeds it with the presence of Jesus, strengthen hearts, fasting and praying in the new year is a good way to start doing that. Strengthen your heart. Don't let it get fattened. And then he says in verse 9, and don't grumble and complain and get resentful against one another, because this too depletes our spiritual reservoir, it makes our macrothumia into a microthumia. Don't grumble and complain and resent one another because it's so easy to do that in the body of Christ when it's a dry time, when the rains aren't falling, when the prayers, answers to prayers don't seem to be happening. It's so easy to kind of blame the people around us in some way. Maybe we don't do it consciously, But something within starts to grate and become resentful. And James knows that. And he says, don't let it happen because it depletes that spiritual life that you're going to need to be like Job in these times. I was thinking about somebody that I knew in the church many years ago now and um, long since moved on. But whenever I thought about this person, I would kind of think about this idea, I would sometimes think to myself, you know, that person really has 
a ministry of discouragement. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's not a very nice thing to think about someone, is it? But, but that's kind of how it felt. I remember thinking, you know, it doesn't matter what is going on. It doesn't matter how good things are, how, how brilliantly things have gone. Somehow, whenever I speak to this particular person, um, all of their kind of their own bitterness and the resentments of their own life and the difficulties because they did have things that they had suffered and they did have things that they were pressured by and they were living under a kind of a cloud all the time of, of answers to prayer that they hadn't seen yet. And I suppose that was why out of them would just come this kind of bitter stream all the time and it was very discouraging um, to speak to this person quite often. And, and I guess I just thought of them as I was praying and preparing about this because I thought, yes, this is what happens. The difficulties and the pressures of our lives, it depletes the spiritual reservoir within. You know, that person had been a Christian a very, very long time. It wasn't to do with, you know, not knowing the Lord very well. It was to do with allowing the inner reservoirs to deplete because of the pressures and the sorrows that they were feeling. And somehow, because she couldn't feel blessed, she couldn't release any blessing either. Because she couldn't feel blessed because the answers she was looking for weren't coming, she also couldn't be a source of encouragement or blessing to others. And I'm sure that she didn't want to be in that place, but I think that that is what James is talking about here. He's saying we need to keep our spiritual reservoir stretched and big. We need to keep working on it and strengthening our hearts because we need to be people who know the blessing of God. Even when it's tough, we know that God is good. We know that his reigns are coming because then we'll be able to release blessing to others and we'll also be able to receive it when the blessings do start raining in all their fullness. That's what happened to Job. That's the example to us that he shows is that because of his patience, because of his endurance, because he hung on in there with a big reservoir within, he was able to receive all the incredible blessing that God had for him at the end of his story. So can we be Job's so that even when the suffering it's difficult and acute. Not that we go into denial, but we hold on to the reality and the truth that God is compassionate and merciful and good and that his goodness is coming. His blessing will come like the late rains. Last thing I want to say <coughs> in the last part of these verses verses 12 to 20, that David read for us. James looks out at the world around him, and first he says, we want to be prophetic people like Job, but then he also says, we want to be prophetic people like Elijah. And now Elijah is the example, a very different example. Job was giving us the example of how we respond internally to the things that are going on out there. We've got to get a bigger reservoir. But for Elijah, he is the example to us of how we respond externally, how we push outwardly into that pressure that the world is presenting to us. Elijah is our example. And James says that in Elijah, what he sees is prayers of faith that accomplish much. 
And that is what I want to exhort us to as well in our days, that we can be like Job and that inwardly that we can make sure that our lives are still full of a reservoir of his Holy Spirit and grace and mercy and goodness, even when it's tough, but that outwardly we don't just sort of sink in and hide away and um, just turn into the internal all the time, but we also look outward and we're ready to pray some prayers of faith that accomplish much. Whatever the world throws at us, whatever the circumstances, that we are a people in this coming year who seek to rise up and accomplish something for Jesus and his kingdom. That we don't just sink back and keep our heads down, but that we rise up and we push out and we pray those prayers of faith. And what James is telling the people of God in his day is that prayers of faith, they flow from a righteous life. They flow from a life that is in good order and righteousness. And he mentions a number of specific things here that we can look at and see, is my life in good order? Is my life in right standing in these ways? Because it will drain our faith and uh, disempower our prayers if those things are not in the right place. He talks about right speech in verse 12. He talks about people who are swearing and taking oaths and using that kind of language. When we do that, what we're seeking to do is we're seeking to gain power for our words and power into our influence, either through our own flesh or by even drawing on other spiritual sources sometimes. That's what we're doing when we take an oath. That's what we're doing when our speech is full of swearing words, of expletives and corrupted words. We're trying to kind of add weight and punch to the things we're saying to accomplish the things that we want to do in our own way, through the force of our own personality, through the force of our own desires, through the force of our own will. That's what's coming through when we swear by heaven or by earth or we take oaths or we use swear words to kind of give a punch to what we're saying. It's, it's revealing something about us. It's revealing that we are in our own flesh and in our own strength seeking to accomplish something. And James says, no, no, we accomplish much through prayers of faith, not that way. And if our words are spilling out with that stuff, we need to discipline them and bring them back into line because it will rob us of our true prophetic power when we're speaking. James also talks about a flow in church life of prayer and worship, prayer and worship. If someone is suffering, we pray. If someone is rejoicing, then we worship, we give praise, we pray blessing and thanksgiving, and that we continue in that flow, and that as we do, it will help us, James is telling us, to go deeper in our prayer lives, to grow in our prayer lives, to become prayers of stature like Elijah was, to go further, to be someone who prays in our prayers, it says about Elijah. In our translation, it says, Elijah was a man who prayed earnestly, but in the Greek, it literally says he prayed in his prayers. You know, I always see that like Russian dolls, you know, there was one prayer, but inside was another one, and inside was another one, and another one, another one, because it went deeper than just a surface kind of throwing up of a thought here and there. 
in the heavenly direction. He learned how to pray in his prayers. And as we exist in a flow of prayer and worship as the people of God, we will find our prayer lives empowered to keep going deeper and to keep becoming more effective. He talks about good spiritual order in verse 14. He talks about the elders in the church being an important part of praying and bringing the prayer life um, into being in the congregation. And it's important as we get our lives right and in the right place that we are in good spiritual order in our church lives. It will empower our praying. Jesus teaches the same things, that when we understand spiritual order, and it's nothing to do with pecking orders, and it's nothing to do with hierarchies, and it's nothing to do with this person being better than that person, or whatever it might be, it is to do with the order that God has set up for his people, so that, like an army, um, our prayers can pack the punch that they're meant to into the enemy's kingdom and into the enemy's realms. And if we will live respecting and recognizing and in a good flow in the church order that God has given, if we are praying for our leaders and praying for our elders and praying for the mature Christians amongst us who need to do their part, um, as well as praying for ourselves, if we are in that kind of place, we will find our prayers accomplishing what they should be. So we need to check our hearts. Am I in good spiritual order? Am I recognizing the order of the body of Christ around me? And finally, he talks about this flow again of confession of sins and prayers for forgiveness. And again, he's describing a church life that is in a continual flow of confession and receiving forgiveness, repentance, and a flow of grace. And he talks about that in verses 15 and 16, and he returns to it again in verses 19 and 20, that as we come together as God's people, we can help one another to stay in a good place with God. It's not about every week, you know, somebody has to stand up and confess all their sins before the entire congregation. That's not what he's describing. He's describing the kind of flow of church life where we have real spiritual relationships with one another, whereby we can actually sit down and say, please pray for me because my heart is not right right now because I've got resentment against so-and-so, because I'm feeling angry about such-and-such, because I know that I did this and it was against God's heart for me. And we can talk like that with one another because we have real, genuine spiritual relationships and we can pray for one another and be released. And when that kind of flow of church life is happening, that's the kind of place where the prayers accomplish much where there's a power and a punch and a push to them. And I want to just conclude by encouraging us as God's people here in Ichthus Forest Hill. Let's aspire to be prophetic people like James is talking about in this chapter in 2022. Let's aspire to be like Job and have a reservoir within that's strengthens and resources us for the difficult times outside. Let's aspire to be like Elijah and turn outward to face the world and have some prayers of faith to pray. 
and have a bit of a punch behind our prayers and know with confidence that we can pray and ask God for big things because we've set things right in our lives. We've made sure that we're stepping into the right place that God has given us to be in, in his people, amongst his people, in his body. Let's aspire to be people who pray some prayers of faith and accomplish much. That's what it says of Elijah. And let's not just sink back into keeping our head down and hoping that the troubles pass by. Let's be ready to rise up like Elijah, to speak out prophetically, to pray out some big prayers and to see some incredible works of God breaking in to the situations around us. I just want to remind us how Roger um, often talks about how he carries his anointing oil with him in his pocket at all times. You might have heard him say that. I've heard him say that many times. He was talking about it the other day because he had said he'd lost it out of the pocket of his trousers recently. And he was saying he felt bad. He felt guilty. He was repenting because he said, I want to carry my anointing oil with me all the time so that even if I'm not praying for somebody or in a situation of prayer, I just put my hand in my pocket. I feel that oil and it reminds me to be a faith-filled prayer, to be someone pushing in all the time to the supernatural realms, to ask God to bring in his kingdom where it is not being manifest. He reminds him to live in that kind of mindset and that kind of attitude all of the time. And we want to be those people too, don't we, that want to push in and receive from God the things that he's got for us in 2022. So there's lots to apply and lots to obey in these verses. And we've got a whole year ahead to do it. (laughs) Maybe. And maybe another one. Maybe another one. I don't know. But let's be the people that he calls us to be. So I'm going to pray for us. And then we're just going to finish with a song of worship together so we can listen to God for ourselves. But let me just pray. Lord Jesus, we recognize the world that James saw around him. It's very similar to ours. And we feel the pressure and we feel the urgency. We feel the imminence of the last days. And Lord, we don't want to be those that stumble blindly through them. We want to take the examples that you've given us and hold on to them. Lord, where we're suffering, I want to pray right now that you would just increase the reservoir of grace in each and every life. Lord, help us to dig out a wider capacity in our hearts to receive from you, to receive your goodness, to recognize your grace and your mercy. Help us, Lord to grow in that inner spiritual life. Help us to stretch it wider and bigger because we need a bigger capacity to draw from your spirit for the days ahead. Help us. Help us, Lord Jesus. Help us, Lord Jesus, where we need to rise up in faith, where we need to be ready 
to pack some punch into our prayers, Lord, where we need to be ready to stand like Elijah in the face of seemingly overwhelming opposition, but claim something good from God in it all. Lord, help us to accomplish much with our prayers in 2022. Teach us, not just as individuals, teach us as a congregation, Lord, how to get hold of the answers you've got for us so that we might be people who truly accomplish much. In Jesus' name, amen.